This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com critical to find out more. two months since Anthony Albanese and his Labor team beat the coalition, led by Scott Morrison and Barnaby Joyce, to reclaim government at the federal level. And with Parliament set to resume on the 26th of July, in this quiz shortcut, we set the scene and take a look at the who's who on the front line, as well as the government's priorities that are going to shape the federal political scene in the weeks and months to come. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It was two months ago that Labor pulled off a stunning win against the Morrison government. And it wasn't just about the major parties. There were some pretty remarkable results from the Independents and the Greens as well. But before we get to the priorities and operational issues ahead of the 47th Parliament, let's just reacquaint ourselves with the major players, Claire, starting with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. We heard quite a bit about this in the campaign, but let's just recap for a second. Albanese was raised by his single mother, Marianne. When he was young, his mother told him that she'd travelled overseas and met his father, married him overseas and returned to Australia and that he had died in a car accident. But that wasn't the case. Ultimately, he met his father, who died in 2014. Albanese went to Sydney University where he studied economics and there's a bit of buzz about his DJing as well from those times. Claire, relationship-wise, he was married to former Labor heavyweight Carmel Tebbett. She was the Deputy Premier of New South Wales from 2008 to 2011. They have a son together, Nathan, and they divorced in 2019 after being together for more than 30 years. He's now with Jodie Hayden. She's a fellow Sydney Rabbitohs supporter (laughs) and she works in the superannuation industry. Albanese is a member of the left faction of the Labor Party. Just explain that a bit. So Labor has formalised factions in a way that the Liberal Party does not, uh, and the left faction of Labor generally backs socially progressive and economically interventionalist policies, whereas the right are more aligned to economic policies that aren't that dissimilar to the Liberals, and they can be more socially conservative. And if we just look at it through that lens, Albanese's success at the election was groundbreaking. Yeah, for sure. He was the first from the left to have taken Labor from opposition into government. And he's just the second Labor leader since 1967 to have come from the left faction. Julia Gillard was the other. Balancing that left-right balance at the top of Labor is Richard Miles. He's the Deputy Labor Leader, which makes him our Deputy PM. He's also the Minister for Defence. He's from Victoria. And the Treasurer, he is also from the right. That's Jim Chalmers. He's from Queensland. And Claire, does he have one big job ahead of him? (laughs) Yeah. And he's got his head down and bum up and he's working through a new budget, which will be announced in October. As for some other senior people, Penny Wong is 
the foreign minister. We've already seen a fair bit of her, particularly in the Pacific Islands. She's also the leader of the Senate uh, and the leader of the House is Tony Burke. He's the Minister for Employment and Industrial Relations as well. Before we move on, just go through what those Leader of the House and Senate positions involve. Yeah, sure. So managing the government's priorities takes some wrangling, both strategically and tactically, on and off the floor of the Chambers of Parliament. So the government and the opposition appoint people to do that. They agree the agenda, they agree the hours that the Chamber will sit and plenty of other things. And when that doesn't go to plan and they want to fight it out, they're also the people who know the procedures to try and get a win for their side. And that's who we often see on the TV when all hell breaks loose in Parliament. Claire, you and I are probably some of the few people looking forward to the return of Question Time (laughs) at 2pm on the TV. Love it. That gets us started on who's who for the Labor government. Let's now take a look at the Coalition's opposition team next. The coalition side that fronts up for the first day of parliamentary sittings on the 26th of July is very different to the one that finished up before the federal election, and that starts right at the top. Yeah, Scott Morrison, our former Prime Minister, is now a backbencher. He's decided to stay on as a local MP, and he doesn't hold a front bench position in the coalition. That team is now led by Queenslander Peter Dutton. He's been an MP since 2001 in the federal seat of Dixon, which takes in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. Yeah, he was 30 years old when he beat Cheryl Curnow in that seat. She was the leader of the Democrats who joined Labor and she was a big name in federal politics for many years. Before we get across his rise to the top of the Federal Liberal Party, let's get to know a bit more about him. One thing that comes up a lot is that he's a former police officer. Yeah, he did that for nearly a decade after leaving school. During that time, he worked in the drugs and sex offenders squad in Brisbane and also with the National Crime Authority. He left the force after a car crash during a covert surveillance operation. Uh, And at that point, he finished a business degree at the Queensland Uni of Technology and he started a business with his father that focused on buildings for childcare centres. And not long after that, he was elected to Parliament. Dutton has been on the front bench since 2004, starting in the Howard government and then in opposition and back into government again. During all of that period, Dutton has played the political game hard. Before we get into that, though, let's cover off his personal life just as we have Albanese's. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, So Dutton first married when he was 22 years old, and that lasted just a few months. His eldest child is a daughter, Rebecca. Uh, She was from a brief relationship, and she's now 20 years old. He married Kiralee in 2003, and they have two sons, Harry and Tom, who are teenagers. Dutton is known for his conservative views, but he's not religious. The religious aspect is worth pointing out because the coalition's two previous conservative-aligned leaders did hold strong religious faith. They were former Prime Ministers Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison. Dutton is not cut from that cloth, but he does have many of the same policy positions when you come to things like offshore processing for asylum seekers who come by boat, uh, pushing back on China, more money for defence. He also doesn't back Australia becoming a republic. So things like that. So that's a top line look at Peter Dutton. Let's move on to others at the top of his team. The first one to mention is Nationals leader David Littleproud. 
he beat Barnaby Joyce in a vote in the Nationals Party room after the election. Little Proud is from Queensland as well, and he's risen through the ranks quite quickly. The Liberals' deputy is Susan Lee. She's from regional Australia. She's representing the New South Wales seat of Farrah that goes from Albury uh, all the way across to the South Australian border. You're from near Albury, Clare, and it also takes in Griffith, where I'm from originally, so she has us both covered (laughs) off. The Coalition's Treasury spokesman is Angus Taylor. He's a farmer and a former business consultant from McKinsey. He was the Minister for Energy in the Morrison government. On those leadership roles in the chambers, though, who will we be looking out for? In the House, it's Paul Fletcher. He was the communications minister. And in the Senate, it's Simon Birmingham. And you might remember he was the finance minister. Got to do remember those two names. All right, let's get into the issues that are top of mind as our pollies pack their bags for Canberra. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Since the election on the 21st of May, it then took a few weeks to finalise the count due to the number of close-run contests right across the country. But, Claire, the writs have been returned and the 47th Parliament of Australia is set to take flight. Before we get into it, just remind us of those numbers. Let's start in the House of Reps, which is where the government is formed. There's 151 seats and you need 76 to claim a majority. We talked a lot about that during the Mm -hmm. campaign, Larissa. (laughs) Uh, Labor finished up with 77 seats, so just one more than they needed to form a majority in their own right. The coalition has 58 members and there's 10 crossbenchers. That includes four Greens. And in the Senate, it's going to take a bit more politicking for Labor to get its agenda through. Yeah, that's right. Neither of the major parties has a majority in that 76-seat Senate. Uh, The Labor government has 26 seats. The coalition has six more than that on 32. And there's 17 reps from the minor parties, including 12 Greens. And there's one independent. That's former Wallaby David Pocock from the ACT. Now, without a doubt, the biggest game in town at the moment is the management of the economy, given interest rates are on the rise and so is inflation. And since the election, Treasurer Chalmers has said repeatedly that both of those things are going to continue to go up for a while yet. It's really tricky economic terrain that the Albanese government is faced with. And we're not the only country in the world staring down that same scenario. COVID restrictions smash global supply chains. And when those restrictions were lifted, there was some gearing up to do. And that has seen a spike in demand, which caused pressures in the system and price rises because there's that unmet demand. 
And then the war in Ukraine, of course, made things worse because sanctions were put on Russia's gas and oil supplies. And that saw energy costs surge across the globe, making things even more expensive. Add to that a shortage of workers that's come from our borders being closed for two years and businesses really looking to ramp up and it's challenging times for our economy. We'll get an update from Chalmers about the state of the books soon and then a whole new budget in October. But Claire, he's already flagged that savings will need to be found. And this is where we'll get a sense of the government's real priorities. It's one thing, of course, to make promises in an election campaign, but it's another to be responsible for those choices when you hold the reins of power. The other big call-out is the environment and climate change. One of the first steps the Albanese government took was to notify the UN of Australia's new short-term emissions reduction target. That's to lower it by 43% below 2005 levels by the end of the decade. That's caused some friction with the Greens. Claire, the Greens want a more ambitious target. They do. The Greens want a 75% reduction and also a commitment to phase out coal and gas. That's an issue because the Albanese government wants to legislate for their target, even though they don't have to. And it could get awkward if the Greens vote with the coalition to oppose Labor's target. Of course, the coalition wants a lower target while the Greens want a higher one. So that's one to watch out for. As for the other big ticket item that's kept the Albanese government busy, that's reframing our international relationships. Prime Minister Albanese flew to Japan for the Quad Leaders Summit just two days after his election victory in May, and he didn't really get a chance to unpack his suitcase after that. Uh, Since then, he's been to Indonesia to meet President Joko Widodo, Spain for the NATO Leaders Summit, France to meet President Emmanuel Macron, uh, Ukraine to meet President Vladimir Zelensky. He's also been to the United Arab Emirates to visit Aussie troops uh, and to feed for the Pacific Islands Forum. That's a lot of airtime. A fair bit of ground got covered there. And some in the coalition have criticised him for exactly that. Both Angus Taylor and David Littleproud highlighted that Albanese was away during another round of flooding in New South Wales. They did. They were seeking to draw a link to that criticism that was levelled at Scott Morrison for his holiday in Hawaii during the Black Summer bushfires. But many said that was an unfair comparison because Albanese was working. Uh, And Peter Dutton also said that he didn't have a problem with it because that travel was to further Australia's national interest. Oh, politics. We've got to get strapped in because it's going to be an issues-rich term of government. That is your shortcut to our new federal government and opposition. Now, on to our recommendations. Each week, we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. For those keeping score of what was promised in the election and what should be delivered by the Albanese government, I've got a link to a tracker so you can play along at home. Yeah, don't let anyone tell you that we don't know how to show you a good time. (laughs) Trackers and question time. Oh, dear. The opening of the new parliamentary term has all the bells and whistles. It's quite a ceremonial occasion. Uh, I've got a link to an info sheet from the Australian Parliament about what that involves. Uh, All I'll say, just to get you interested, is that there's a mace and a black rod that make an appearance. (laughs) It all sounds quite medieval, actually. I'm sure it's all above board. 
Thanks for listening in. If you liked this episode of Squiz Shortcuts, please do tell your friends about it. Share it. You can also find it on our website at thesquiz.com.au. If you have any requests for topics you want us to cover, send it through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.